The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Looking in God's Word to Matthew 6 as we continue considering the Sermon on the Mount, finishing chapter 6 today. One more chapter to go as we move on next week, Lord willing, to chapter 7. Again, Jesus is the speaker of this entire sermon, as it's called, gathered together. And so we hear our Lord Himself speaking in Matthew 6, beginning at 25. Follow along, if you will. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's holy word. The Lancaster newspaper two weeks ago, May 20th, could not have been more on track as I knew I had this subject coming up. There was a major article, some of you may have noted it, that said, we all live in the United States of anxiety. The American Psychiatric Association, that article told me, claims that 39% of all Americans feel more anxious today than they did reportedly a year ago. The greatest sources of anxiety for people are cited as keeping myself or my family safe or paying bills and other financial necessities. Parents today, of course, are Worried about their students in, in public schools? Are they going to be safe in their classrooms? If you happen to live in Hawaii, you're worried about lava swallowing up your house. Maybe you're worried about missiles coming from North Korea. There are lots of things to be anxious about. The philosopher Kierkegaard spoke to the subject and said, 
no grand inquisitor ever has invented such terrible tortures for mankind as our own anxiety does for us. Last time we heard Jesus speak about how possessions can take possession of us and rule over us. Now he gives a related problem in the way we fret about worldly needs and goods, the things we don't have or that haven't happened yet. The biblical word for to worry in the original Greek means looking in all directions, trying to look everywhere at the same time and thus be totally distracted and not focused on any one thing. You see a perfect illustration of it with the famous incident of Mary and Martha that many of you can think of in Luke chapter 10 when the two sisters were entertaining the Lord and had a dinner at their house. Mary was sitting there transfixed at the teaching of Jesus, soaking it up, totally absorbed in what he had to say. Martha was dashing around. Uh, I don't think she was looking for forks because they didn't use forks, but uh, probably napkins or serving bowls or something was in her concern. Do we have enough wine? What's happening? Who's taking care of that? Is the meat cooked yet? And Jesus said, Martha, you're concerned and distracted about many things. Your sister has chosen the better part, looking to one necessary thing. That is a perfect illustration of our text here today, what it means to worry and and be anxious, to be darting off in all directions, concerned that things are going to come apart if you don't somehow create a fix. I see just two main points being made by this significant text today. As we consider its meaning, first of all, I think Jesus is telling us that worry contradicts logic itself. It's illogical. It's impractical. It makes no sense. To worry over something is to try to live in tomorrow while it's still today. You construct a scenario in your mind of this worst possible result that's going to happen to you, and you've got it all figured out and and how you're going to address it, and it never happens. And something else happens entirely that's either good or maybe it's bad, but it's bad in a different way than what you anticipated in in the first place. How many of us are the kind of prognosticators that can accurately say, this terrible thing is coming and I know it's going to happen? We don't know. And the bad things that do happen usually catch us unaware. Here in verse 25, Jesus asks, Is not your life more important than food and your body more important than clothing? Those are the two big things here, not retirement funds or cars or mortgages. People lived in a much simpler level. If they had warm clothing, a place to sleep, and some guaranteed source of dinner tomorrow, they were basically content. They were mostly peasants that Jesus was speaking to. And so he said, Don't be anxious about these basic things. They're essentials, but your worrying about them isn't going to affect them in one way or another. Concentrate on the great thing, seeking righteousness with the Lord. And he gives this humble example of the the little sparrow and says, "Here's here's a bird. I don't know how long sparrows live. I can't imagine it's very long but it lives its life and somehow it finds seeds or food or whatever grubs it needs to to eat and it exists and God has made creation to have a 
a niche where sparrows can survive for their lifespan? And if he can care for sparrows, what do you think he cares about you created in his image? Romans 8.32 applies a similar logic when Paul writes there, He who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, the cross, the resurrection. If God did that, Paul says, will he not also, along with giving Christ, give us all things? Is he not a comprehensive God who has our total care, our total need, not just the need of salvation, but everything? Is he going to do the great thing that provides for eternal salvation and say, whoops, I forgot to put food on the earth and they're all going to die. That's not the way God works. And another way in which Jesus here says that worry or anxiety in advance is illogical or or just not practical is in verse 27. Do you think you can make your life any longer that you can prolong it by worrying about it? Actually, the opposite is true. Your worry is going to bring you migraines and ill health and debilitating effects, high blood pressure, heart attacks, lost sleep. You're going to make your life shorter, not longer, by worrying. Jesus says worry puts us in a category with what he calls either Gentiles or pagans, depending on your translation. He means non-believers. He says the non-believer, of course, worries about these things. He's, he's a pure materialist. He lives in a material world, and and materialism is all he knows and, and all he can think about. Is materialism the sum and substance of your life? Or are there not greater things, the things of God and eternity and Christ and the gospel and God's grace and God fortifying you with faith? Face each day as it comes with its own trouble. He says, don't try to live in tomorrow while it's still today. You just can't do it. Now, wait a minute. This is not saying don't plan, don't budget. There's a problem with this text in some people's minds. I think the King James Version, instead of saying don't be anxious, says take no thought. Well, that's an old English way of saying don't worry. But if you take it real literally and say, I don't, I'm not going to take any thought whatsoever. I'm never going to plan for tomorrow or next week. I'm not going to save for retirement. The Bible tells me not to take no thought for tomorrow. That's not what this says. It's saying don't be wrapped up with anxious care so that concentration on tomorrow ruins you today. Of course you should plan. Of course you should budget. Of course you should save. Prudent attention to those things is God-honoring and right, but corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is foolishly unnecessary and harmful. Well, the second and greater point, I think, here is not only that worry is impractical or illogical, but material worry is a denial of our Christian faith. Notice the last phrase of 630 here where the Lord said, O you of little faith. He's addressing the Christian saying, you're a person who has faith. I know you do. I know you trust in me and you're learning to trust in me anyway as your Lord and and that I will provide an eternal salvation for you. But you're sure not applying that same faith that you show in me as Savior 
to these circumstances, these immediate things in your daily life. And there's a great illustration of it just a page or so over. If you turn in your Bible one page over to uh, Matthew 8 and look at about verse 23 and following, a famous incident. Jesus is in the boat on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. He was asleep in the boat, exhausted, and uh, they were having a terrible storm. It was a great storm. The boat was being swamped. The, these fishermen who knew storms and knew how to handle boats were terrified, and they woke Jesus, basically saying, how in the world can you sleep? Save us. We are perishing. And they actually said to him, don't you care that we're perishing? Amazing that here were men who trusted in Christ. They trusted in him enough that they expected he would do something about the storm. And yet they felt like all was lost and they were about to die. Jesus just said, where's your faith? I know you have faith. I know you believe in an eternal heaven that you believe God can give you the righteousness to come there? Do you believe his word that he works in situations today and now besides just taking you off to heaven someday? Well, I think if people I know, some of them anyway, were addressed by this, they would say, yes, but Lord, you have to understand, I'm just a worrier by nature. I don't know how many times I've heard that from people. I'm a worrier. And, And they think that sort of excuses them. Uh, It isn't really a spiritual problem. I'm just a worrier. No, it's a spiritual problem. It's sinful unbelief. It's not applying the faith that you have. It's acting as if God suddenly has lost his control of your universe and you can't trust him anymore. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, your Father and Savior deserves to be trusted in the present difficult circumstance. Now, Peter, who was in that boat and who was one of those fishermen who, who, you know, thought he was about to die, later on wrote a great epistle. 1 Peter 5, 7 showed that he had learned some of his lesson anyway because there he wrote many years later, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. That was a more mature Peter who said that, who knew that God was willing and able to care for and buoy up and come alongside those who trust in him. And the anxiety that Peter and the others had, he saw was not a legitimate Christian option. In fact, it was a kind of rebellious agnosticism. Peter came to understand if you trust God, you're not worrying, and if you're worrying, you're not trusting God. He saw that there was a Christian antidote to little faith, and it was faith applied in the right place. Faith applied with the recognition of what God has already done and with thankfulness. One of the lessons I feel like I'm learning more and more as I get into that elderly category, I like living in a retirement community because Carol and I are almost among the youngest people there. That's kind of cool. People actually say, you don't look like you belong here. I say, good. Um, That's what I want you to think. But, you know, as I get a little older and lessons kind of mellow in my mind, I see the importance of thankfulness. 
actively being thankful, making myself think deliberately of things I'm thankful for every day, puts me in a different spiritual frame every time. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Now, are you saying that Paul, well, he's just a contented guy. That's the way he was by nature. No, Paul says, I wasn't always that way. I learned, I have learned by my experience to be content. And we know that one of the ways Paul did that was by studying God's involvement with his life and giving active thanks so that he entered into that wonderful thing called the peace of God, which passes understanding. Same chapter of Philippians 4, as I close, is a fitting conclusion here to Matthew 6 when Paul said to disciples, don't be full of cares. In everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's an active, willful undertaking of giving thanks that lets you enter that peace and step out of anxiety. I would have told you probably even a few years ago that I wasn't an anxious person. I I think my wife would say I'm not a worrier. I'm not sure. You'd have to ask her. Ask her when I'm not standing there and see what she says. But I've always been a person confident in the Lord and maybe overbold sometimes to just press ahead and say, God seems to be leading here. Let's go. Let's put our worries aside. I find as I do get older, I worry more. I face things at this point in my life as I think about retirement that, frankly, I'm a little worried about some things. I better admit it. But I'm finding the necessity of giving thanks, saying, Lord, you've led me all the way along so far. I don't think you're going to drop me now. I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to say thank you for what you've done and what you will do. And I know that anxious care and worry is not going to enhance my life one bit. And it's not going to help me find the places of service and contentment where you want me to dwell. When we really seek the greatest thing, that is Jesus Christ and his salvation, his righteousness, laid down in our place, offered as our substitute. When we see Christ as our Lord and our Savior and the glory of God visible on earth as the supreme good, we are seeking the greatest possible thing. And when we know that, when we know Christ as the Lord of all, when we know that our Heavenly Father is our caring provider, He hasn't lost the controls of our personal universe because something seems to be going wrong or looks foreboding for next week. When we can say, we'll seek after the greatest thing that there is, the kingdom of God in Christ, we can be sure that all the other things will be added to us. They really will. Let's pray together. Father, I'm sure there's some worriers here. I'm sure there's some anxious folks here who would say, well, pastor, that's just my way. I'm always anxious. I always think of the worst that can happen. 
Father, I would not indict these Christian friends, but I would remind them that if that worry is their constant abiding place, it's really a place of sin. It's a place of unbelief. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for the thanks that we all can have for so many good things you've done in our lives. You've given us good reasons to be confident in you. We don't have to pray like those men in the boat and say, Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? We know you care. So, Father, meet us in our anxieties. Bring your comfort. Bring your strength. And we will rejoice for having sought the one great thing that matters most. Amen.